I mean that sincerely. For over 25 years, I've been waiting to talk to Theodore Witcher, the director of the best film about black love. One of the best. Claudine was good. I love Claudine. But it is one of the best films ever about black love and the enduring legacy of black love. Love Jones. Turn that up, Miles. I love this track from Dion Ferris. So Theodore Witcher comes in studio as that song rides. And the first thing he says to me was, I've been waiting all these years to talk to you. And I said, Negro, I've been waiting all these years to talk to you. And we finally get together. I've loved this film for 27 years as it's been out, right? So he says to me, and I'm a huge Prince fan. He knows my friendship with Prince. He says, anytime we want to talk about Prince, we can talk about Prince any day. So I said to him that in our second hour today, our previous hour, we started the hour playing the audio of Prince premiering his reflection song on my television show 20 years ago today. Hard for me to imagine. I miss him every day. And then Theodore, as music lovers are wont to do, then tells me something that I didn't know about this song, Hopeless. And what you shared with me was what, Theodore? Well, that's um, that's John Blackwell, Prince's uh, longtime drummer, uh, playing. That was his first session. Uh, he's from he was he was from Atlanta. He passed as well. Uh, he was from Atlanta, I believe. Played with Cameo, I think, was like his first gig. Fans will correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but I was told that that was his first studio session. Randy Jackson produced it. Randy Jackson's playing bass on it. Mm-hmm. Van Hunt wrote it. Mm-hmm. Dion, of course, and uh, John Blackwell on drums. Van Hunt. Hallie's boyfriend. Hallie's now boyfriend <laughs> and incredible songwriter, singer-songwriter yes. in his own right. Incredible talent, actually. Yeah. Uh, he wrote that, and uh, Dion sang the hell out of it. And uh, and there you have it. And in fact, lo- there's a lot of talent around that tune because yeah. the music video, uh, I actually am in the music video. They wrote me into being in this damn video. I don't do I don't like to yeah. do on-camera stuff, but I was there. And uh, I, if memory serves, the, 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 the video was directed by Arthur Jaffa. Mm. Who was who was the, the, for people who might not know the cinema, the uh, very famous uh, or not very famous but very accomplished cinematographer of uh, among other things Julie Dash's uh, Daughters of the Dust. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot, there was a whole lot of talent uh, associated with that with that song. For music lovers like me, and that means many of you, how fascinating is that story? That he comes in talking about Prince, I did not know that. So John Blackwell, Prince's longtime drummer, mm. this is his first session playing drums on this Dion Ferris track. The track is written by Van, who mm-hmm. I've known for years, Hallie's Boo, mm-hmm. these days. Yeah. Randy Jackson is playing bass mm-hmm. on the track, mm-hmm. and we know what Dion did. Yeah. See, I, I, <laughs> I've, yeah. been, I've been loving this song for 27 years, and I just learned all that stuff when you but, show up in the studio. But that's the whole that's the whole story of the, of the movie, or certainly the record, Yeah, in that... Um, a lot of talent just happened to get in the orbit of the movie. Uh, a lot of iconic talent just happened mm-hmm. to get in the orbit of the movie. And uh, 
you know, lightning in a bottle, really. When we come forward, he's going to unpack that statement that a lot of brilliant talent just happened to get, as he said it, in the orbit of the movie. You know the cast. You know the all-star cast. You know how great they were in the film. You know what they've done since then. But when you hear the director say they just got into the orbit of the film, that begs the obvious. What orbit are we talking about? How did that happen? How did the inertia build? Uh, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, tomorrow's Love Day, uh, and I'm honored to have the director of one of the greatest black love films ever made, Theodore Witcher, the director of Love Jones on Tavis Smiley. Interrogating and unpacking. That's what we do around here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. Don't sleep on the soundtrack. I ain't got to the film yet. <laughs> I ain't got to the cast yet. I ain't got to the storyline yet. Uh, we just talked about the soundtrack. We started with a breakdown of Hopeless by Dion Ferris. Uh, here comes Lauren Hill. Uh, you cannot sleep on the soundtrack of Love Jones. Uh, why Love Jones? Because tomorrow, of course, is Love Day. Uh, and uh, I've been waiting, as I said, 25 years to have this conversation with the director of one of my favorite films, one of your favorite films, Love Jones. Theodore Witcher, and I was just talking a moment ago. He's in the studio, by the way, live with us, and I'm grateful for that. We were just talking about the fact that he was saying to me, he said, Tavis, I can't believe that people are still so connected to this story, this movie, all these years later. I said, there are two, there, that says two things to me. The first thing it says to me is, that you did an excellent job bringing to the fore a brilliant film. That's the first thing. The film resonates because it was and is brilliant. It stands the test of time. That's that. That's just a shout-out. Uh, kudos to you for just giving us a great project, number one. But the other thing it says to me about why we always go to Love Jones and maybe loving basketball, it's a short list. Mm. There's a very short list of great black films that have love stories at the epicenter. And so the other reason why we hold on to Love Jones is that there is a dearth and a paucity of great black films about black love. I ask you, Theodore Witcher, why is that? You know, <clears throat> I'm not sure. Um, it, it, the, there have been romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. In the wake of around the time of Love Jones and in the wake of Le, uh, Love Jones, a best man's perfect example, mm -hmm. right? Things there are movies that have uh, uh, love that are sort of like love story adjacent mm -hmm. that have comedic elements. That's a that's a slightly different form. You'll see those, but what you're talking about is the romantic drama, mm -hmm. uh, Love and Basketball, another one, my film. And you, it's you're hard pressed to mm -hmm. think of of other romantic dramas. I'm sure somebody has made uh, some, and perhaps I haven't seen it. That's why, that's why I say Claudine. You know, <laughs> way well, back Claudine when, Claudine yeah. goes back. That's way know, back. That's fifty exactly. years old. That's my point. So yeah, it's why would that be? I'm not sure. You know why? Come on, man. Well, you know. I why. mean, look. Keep it real. Keep it real. Okay. All right. Straight. Straight. No chaser. Okay. Okay. Keep okay. It, real. it is. It is true that there's still something about the way. They see us, mm -hmm. and, and perhaps even to some degree the way we see ourselves. Hello. So, because it's not that this is, it's not that you if you were if you were making a white film, a film with white leads, mm -hmm. with mainstream stars that you recognize, whatever, you could get that story made. I believe over the last twenty years, 
the romantic drama kind of transitioned into the YA space. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a little more younger people mm-hmm. now, but still, you could get that kind of thing made. The, like the adult version of it mm-hmm. is still is a little. You don't see a whole lot of it, but it's still around. Mm-hmm. But why don't why can't we get the the black version of that? Is it because the filmmakers are not? No one's interested in telling that story. I don't know. It, it, it's, it, it is I, even in my case, yeah. having made this film, um, it's been very challenging to get the next one. Very challenging to get the next one made. It is. Uh, I'll come back to that. Put a pin in that for a second um, about that challenge. All these uh, years later, something occurred to me um, as you were just talking that we live in a world that is primarily populated by people of color. Sure. And we live in a country where we're just a few years away from a country that will be majority minority, if you, for mm-hmm. people who use that phrase. Right. People of color will be the majority, is my point. I'm not sure I love the phrase majority minority. I ain't no, I ain't no minority, but mm. you take my point. Mm. So we live in a world that is filled, populated by people of color. We live in a country that's becoming increasingly uh, populated, first and foremost, by people of color. And yet, films with people of color in them that have love at the epicenter of it, mm. these films don't get made. I, I've never, that, that disconnect has never sort of occurred to me. It, it'd be one thing if we lived in an all-white world and there were 10 Negroes in the world. Okay, fine. <laughs> I understand why you didn't do a bunch of black, about, a bunch of films about black love. Right. Ain't but 10 of y'all right. in a very, very white world. <laughs> right. But if the world right. is right. populated by people of color right. Right. and this country is about to be more colored than white, right. Like now might be a good time for somebody to get serious about about Love Jones two three four five and six. You know, it's. I mean, you're 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 opening a much larger can of worms, um, and maybe it has to do with. Maybe it has to do with with the way that the 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 sort of marketing imperative of films has kind of, you know siloed off little segments of the mm-hmm. audience to make it easier for them to sell the product to. Uh, black people, and then it can go for even further than like black people. It can go. They try to make movies for a Latin audience. Mm-hmm. They try to make they try to make movies for, just for action fans. Like what, whatever the silo yeah. is, they keep trying to like divvy up the audience instead of uh, instead of trying to make something that's going to appeal to that that has a broad appeal. And yeah. so n- that has to do with how they see us and how maybe even we see ourselves. As I said. It's really difficult to parse out. Um, I was talking to, I don't know, man. It's really difficult to parse out. It's like, do you want, maybe the, 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 the theory is or the belief is the mainstream audience is not, would not be interested in a movie that has black people in it outside of their narrow version mm-hmm. of what they think black people are. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, you know, I've been thinking about this. I'm actually ready to uh, sort of reassess the 90s movie star career of Denzel Washington and even Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And maybe it has more cultural significance and more cultural importance on this, uh, vis-a-vis this topic than just two successful guys who made a bunch of hit movies. Because, particularly in the case of Denzel Washington, who played a range of characters, mm-hmm. as Will Smith had kind of like a, a, a persona, mm-hmm. right? But Denzel is a, both a movie star and, a, and an actor, uh, a rare 
combination of skill sets Mm -hmm. and was able to get across to a main, basically to anybody Mm -hmm. just for his own humanity. And then he was able to access what is the primary engine of the movie as Hollywood, as Hollywood has created it and, and, and produces it, which is this is that the viewer watches the film and psychologically puts themselves into the dilemma of the protagonist. Mm-hmm. In other words, they project themselves mm-hmm. onto the person who's the lead of the movie and into their particular problem that they're trying to solve. Yeah. So for all these decades, that person was white and even, and not even white, not even like a specific white, because even the ethnicity, the specific ethnicity of the white actors, the white movie stars from the Hollywood, from the from the studio era, mm-hmm. was bleached out. These were just generic white people, right? Yeah. If you were if you were Jewish, change your name. If you were from Eastern Europe, mm-hmm. get your accent together. Mm-hmm. Like bleached out anything that they thought might not transmit. Like they wanted a blank slate, mm-hmm. in other words, that you could project yeah. yourself onto. That was a white person then. So then here comes Denzel, who becomes a movie star that we hadn't seen, with the exception of Sydney. He's yeah. like literally maybe Richard Pryor in the interim, mm-hmm. becomes a huge movie star in the 1970s. Some others, Diana Ross was a huge star in films mm-hmm. and others. But not, but then Denzel really becomes like a, a, a superstar. Yeah. And... It, he made films where he was clearly black, and yet you could watch the movie yeah. and still be not black and project yourself onto the dilemma of the black man. That's actually a significant cultural accomplishment. But it, it is indeed. I'm glad you broke that down. This is this is getting rich, as we say, getting good around here. Um, but Denzel has mastered what each of us should master in our own lives, no matter mm-hmm. what our calling and avocation is. And that is anything that you do ought to be done in a way that other folk can situate their humanity in that thing. Sure. That's the trick. To, to me, that's, that's the, the goal. Trick. That's the goal. Can other people – I, I tell my colleagues here at this station um, that, that you ought to – first of all, let me just – we're in Black History Month. Let me just quote Dr. King. Can I, can I people sure, for a second? Of course. King said the following, that if it falls your lot in life to be a street sweeper, you should sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Mm. Sweep the streets like Beethoven composed music. Mm-hmm. Sweep the streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Mm. If it falls your lot in life to be nothing but a street sweeper, you should sweep the streets so well that when you die, all the host of heaven will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper. And then King admonished us in this way. That each of us should do our work so well, whatever your calling is, whatever your working witness is in the world, you should do that thing so well that the dead, the living, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. Mm, That's a tall order. That the dead, the living, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. But the way to succeed at doing that is to do that work so well that others can situate their humanity in that work and in that witness. Mm -hmm. And Denzel has mastered that, and that's the point I think you're making. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's the goal of, first of all, in the movie business, because of the economics of the movies, mm-hmm. because they're so expensive to make, you, you you are forced to try to appeal to as large an audience as possible. Mm-hmm. If you write a book, 
you write a book and you sell 100,000 copies. You're on the New York Times bestseller list. Mm -hmm. You're a huge success in the publishing world. If I make a film and sell 100,000 tickets, my career is over. Mm -hmm. So you have to appeal to a large number of people just on the practicalities of, uh, of mm -hmm. the machine of uh, the machinery of making films. But the, it is, and it should be, and, and is the artistic imperative to tell a story yeah. that can be specific in its cultural depiction, right? That is clearly a black man. Yeah. That is clearly a Latin man, whatever, whatever have you. That's the enlivening part. But the, the, the impulse, the underlying engine of the story should be to advance the cause of you see me, you can see yourself in me, you can see you, uh, uh, my dilemma in you, your dilemma in me, and that is to increase the so, empathy. So let me, let me flip it then, because yeah. now we may be onto something here. Maybe that's the reason why, I bring this back to Love Jones, yeah. maybe that's why we haven't seen more Love Jones type films. Because what Denzel has mastered as an individual mm. is his mastering it as an individual. But writ large, if the other folk can't situate their humanity in our experience, right? If you see where I'm going yeah, here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then that 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 explains why you don't see more it's, black love stories. Yeah, it, it, but they do when they see it. Yeah, it's just getting it made. Yeah. I mean, Love Jones has played all over the world. Yeah, um, I get calls from like in Korea mm -hmm. and in Europe and elsewhere. And I'm like, I had no idea the Korean people would watch, uh, would would get anything out of this. They are people of color, though. Okay, Theodore. The, but if you tell the story, mm -hmm. if you if the focus of your storytelling is on the humanity of the characters, mm -hmm. and that the the dilemma that they're facing is essential is essentially a human dilemma, uh, and you do that with some, you know, with as much artfulness as you can, mm -hmm. uh, you can't help but move people. Yep. The trick is getting the damn thing made and in front of a marketplace. That's the trick. All right. Let me ask. I got two minutes to go, uh, and then we'll continue when we come forward. I'm glad yeah. I got you for the whole hour. You sure. See why, see why I needed an hour with you? Sure, I understand. And I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm, you I'm glad I said yes. All right. I'm glad you said yes, too. So two quick questions here in the two minutes I have right now. One, we were talking earlier about the soundtrack, and we did we broke mm. down the Dion Ferris. Well, we can come back to that, too. We'll, do do? we'll come back to it right now. <laughs> You you whispered to me that you actually tried to get Prince, we talked about earlier, yeah. you tried to get Prince on the soundtrack? I did. And what did he say? I cut a scene <laughs> in the movie to a Prince song. Do you know the song, uh, Shh, yes. that he wrote, Absolutely. that Tevin did? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I was like, I got to have that for this particular scene. Okay. And so we. this was in the period when he was, uh, what I call like his angry Prince phase, when he had fired everybody mm -hmm. and was basically running his own affairs. Mm-hmm. So we called, we put it in the movie, we called his office, Paisley Park, for the, um, for the clearance, mm -hmm. could not get anybody to answer the phone. I, at the time, I didn't know anybody who could get to him. And we called, like, many times until the very last moment where we had to take it out if we didn't have a clearance because the thing was going out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it, was a, it wasn't a no, it was never got a hold of him. So I replaced it with another song. And then... I told him years later, I said, man, I, I you know, I want. And, and what did he say then? <laughs> I, I said, I try, you know, and because it was, we were having a conversation about his song um, On the Couch. Sure, sure. And I sure. said, uh, I said, thank you for that. And and he said to me that he was a huge fan of the movie. And I was, and all I could think about was, damn it, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, so, so, so Prince was almost on the Love Jones soundtrack. Almost on the record. It, but he was actually, it, it was actually in the film. It, you, you had, to, you had yes. to pull it out. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I love, that's why I love these backstories. Yeah, yeah. That you had to pull it out because you couldn't get a clear. 
player is on it. Yeah. All right, so when we come forward, uh, we're going to go straightway into this conversation about the orbit that he referenced earlier mm. uh, that pulled in all these great artists, these great thespians who we now know as the cast of Love Jones. Uh, tomorrow, of course, is Love Day. And uh, I, uh, been, again, I say for the third time, I've been waiting a quarter century to have this conversation. People oftentimes Uh-oh. ask me, Uh-oh. people ask me all the time, who have you not <laughs> talked to that you want to talk to? And I've been blessed to talk to pretty much everybody, <laughs> but I ain't never talked to Theodore Witcher <laughs> until now uh, about Love Jones, and I'm glad about it. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. For all the freedom-loving folk, this is Tavis Smiley. I feel like He's rooting for everybody black. Everybody black. black. More of Tavis Smiley coming your way right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. He didn't get Prince on the soundtrack. <laughs> but he got Maxwell. He got Lauren Hill. He got Dion Ferris. Uh, don't sleep on the soundtrack for Love Jones. We are honored and thrilled. I'm just tickled. You can probably see the grin on my face through the radio. Uh, I'm thrilled after 25 years plus to finally be in dialogue with the director of Love Jones. Theodore Witcher as we celebrate tomorrow Love Day and I'm just learning so much about the backstory to this film how Prince was almost on the soundtrack and they couldn't close <laughs> on the licensing <laughs> uh, and now I learned during this break uh, you let that ride for a second Miles I learned during this break there was a great music producer that you probably heard of some of you may have known him but Andre Harrell Uptown Records Andre later ran Motown Andre is a bad, bad boy and bad boy Andre's a bad boy, and, I, and I, he's, he's, he's gone now. We miss him dearly, but I, I knew Andre, uh, and Theodore, of course, knew Andre. And we were just talking moments ago about why there aren't more black love stories on film. So before you started shooting Love Jones, what did your friend Andre Harrell tell you? Well, let me preface this by okay. saying I am not trying to slag off on or diss Andre. I loved Andre, and he was great. However, he did say this to me. Uh, <laughs> we, he can, he was he was there in Chicago uh, on some business, mm-hmm. and but I had to meet with all of the record companies to figure out uh, who was where, where we were going to try and make a deal to mm-hmm. do the soundtrack. He was running Motown at the time, mm-hmm. and he and I met in the VIP room at Chick Ricks mm-hmm. one night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing about that. Go ahead, go ahead, go okay. ahead. <laughs> everybody from Chicago of a certain yeah. age might remember. You are you are on in Chicago right okay. now. Go All ahead. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so he and I. So, and he was like, you know, I'm a young. I'm like 26 or whatever. He's like, okay, young man. What's you know? What do you, what's your what's your movie about? Like they just told me I had to have this meeting. Mm-hmm. I told him the story, and he said to me, and this is right before we started shooting. We were still prepping the movie, and he said. He basically tried to discourage me from even doing it because he was he said there's no urgency to love. There's no urgency to black people are not interested in love stories. There's no urgency to it. This was in an era when all of the movies were basically like hood movies. They were like the 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 the, the, the concerns of the movie were uh, it, the movies were much harder. And, right. and, and Andre's telling you there is no urgency and he says to speci- black love. Specifically, there's no urgency to black love. Wow. As a, I guess as a, I, maybe perhaps he meant as a, as a movie idea mm-hmm. or as a marketing concern. I don't know. But I took tremendous offense to this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was like, oh, I'm going to show him. 
And I changed the last line. I changed Darius's last line in the script where he says, "Love is urgent, like a like an like MF." Like an MF. Yeah. I changed that specifically in response to what Andre told me that night at Chick Ricks. So, <laughs> so the line became iconic, and everybody you know says it all the time. And and Andre, once he saw the movie, completely turned around. He was like, Nick. Mm. He was like. I was completely wrong. Every time I but, would see him, yeah. it was like but you. Th but that line was written courtesy of Andre Cur Harrell. Curtis, that, or, or line, that conversation with Andre. That conversation, that that line is in the movie because he said that to me. So and for I, all for all of you Love Jones fans <laughs> who love that line, now you know the backstory to how that line. Got, this is why I, that's why I love these conversations. Show you, him, you learn man. the backstories. Now him. let me just let me just push on this right quick. Mm. Andre may have been right in the following: when Love Jones hit theaters. It did not kill at the box office. It has become mm. a cult classic, as I said earlier, one of the best films ever made. My top three, number one for me. I put this at one. I put Claudine at number two. Well, no, that's for not. me. That's for me. Okay. Um, loving basketball, let's, definitely let's, top five. Let's not get carried away. That's okay, just okay, me. I'll let that's, you have yes. it. Okay. All right. I got, I got my. Okay. I'm, in, I'm entitled to my top five, Theodore. Which all right. All okay. Right. Got all my right. top five. Now that said. It did not kill at the box office, even though over the years it's become a cult classic. So maybe, even though Andre liked the film, on the economics about black love not being urgent, maybe he was right. Maybe he had a point. Um, doesn't mean you shouldn't. Well, I mean, that is the reason to do it. Yeah. Because you're trying to move the needle mm -hmm. on the culture, on everything. You're trying to get the ball down the field. So he's right, or perhaps he was right, in the sense that it was. It's an idea that just seems so foreign to him. That's, yeah. That 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 would be something that that a large number of people would be interested in seeing, uh, which is exactly the reason why you got to push. How, how did you feel on opening weekend when black people did not come out in droves to see this film? It wasn't opening weekend. wasn't bad. We were on eight hundred screens, mm -hmm. or about eight hundred and twenty screens, mm -hmm. which was an which was an okay size release for that kind of movie right. at the time. Right. As long as you target the theaters, as long sure. as you're in the right theaters where black people are, then mm -hmm. you're going to be okay. So I called the studio on Monday and I said, uh, I called the president of, of the studio, Mike DeLuca, and I said, uh, are you happy with the, with the numbers? And he said, we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess he was just being kind to me. Mm -hmm. But so I wasn't really put off by opening weekend. But then the movie does movie basically winds up at like twelve five or something like that, mm -hmm. about twelve million dollars worldwide, uh, which is not a great number. And, you know, impeded my ability to get something else made. It cost what to make it? Uh, the movie cost seven. And it made 12.5. Movie cost seven. They spent nine mm -hmm. on P&A. Yeah. And, uh, and so, they're in the, so you're in for 16. Yeah. Which means you have to do 30 mm -hmm. something, somewhere around 30. Yeah. But, and another little bit of bad luck, bad timing. This was right the same year they introduced DVD. So DVD as a revenue stream, as an ancillary rep, downstream revenue stream, right, uh, had not really established itself. A few years later, you would have made millions, yeah. millions yeah. upon millions, tens of millions in DVD returns. Look, but we were a little early on that. Let me, let me ask you point blank. Did you ever feel, did you ever say to your friends, your mama, your family, anybody, mm -hmm. um, I'm sick of these Negroes. I gave the, I, I gave them a classic love story, uh, and these Negroes let me down. No, no, 
No. I it, gave I gave them what they don't get. And they didn't show no, up. No, no, no. Those aren't the the audience aren't the Negroes that let me down okay. over, over the last thirty years. Okay. But um I never I never I never jabbed at the audience for it. Because why would I? Because as the as the film uh, acquired its audience, yeah. people liked it. Yeah. I mean, we if you saw it, you more or less. I mean, some some people don't dig it. That's fine. But a lot of people like it. So I can't really blame the audience for just not checking it out when yeah. it on opening weekend or whatever. So, you know, they it's, got around to it. They got to it. and They dug it. The backstory is always fascinating. It is a classic, and there's absolutely no question about that. When we come forward. This is so rich. I still ain't got to the cast yet, and my time is getting away from me. So I'm going to make Theodore Witcher tell me about this cast mm, sure. when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. From the Mert Park with love, love, love this love. is Tavis Smiley. Cape. More honesty than you can handle. More empowerment than you can imagine. You're tuned in to Tavis Smiley. Smiley. All right, Theodore Witcher, uh, director of Love Jones. I'm watching my clock. It's getting away from me. How did this cast get in the orbit of doing this film that you referenced earlier. Here's the scary part. Okay. This this actually scared the hell out of me because you realize that so much of it is, as a director, is actually out of your control. Mm -hmm. And that when it works, you're like, I don't know if I can repeat that because so much of it is serendipity. Mm -hmm. um, what I call the movie gods. You make your You make your sacrifice to the movie gods and hopefully they smile on you. And in this case, they did. Lorenz, as I've, I've said many times, Lorenz was, um, the studio wanted Lorenz because he had he had been in uh, Menace for them, which mm -hmm. was a hit. Mm -hmm. And I had, I had written it for uh, Jada uh, Pinkett Smith. Mm -hmm. then, Pinkett then. P Jada Pinkett. Yeah. And she, she left yeah. the project, sort of left us uh, right, but not too far before we started. Yeah. And we were like, hmm, okay, so who do we replace her with? And Nia had worked with the ex our executive on the movie, Helena Echigoyen, um, Helena Perez now. Um, she had worked with her on Friday for the same studio, mm -hmm. which was a hit. So mm -hmm. we mentioned her to the studio. was like, oh, great. So we, now we have two stars from two movies that have made money for us. Mm -hmm. So we're okay. So I had dinner with Nia. And uh, Nia's from Brooklyn. Her father's a poet. So she got the world of the, mm -hmm. the sort of bohemian black bohemian world of the film she got it instantly mm -hmm. and was like great i'll do it and then lorenz had to sort of approve me uh because he wasn't really interested in working with a first-time director but he liked the script so we met and we kind of you know worked it out and then he signed on and then for the rest of them it's just Straight luck because Isaiah? I, I had met Isaiah. Yeah, yeah. Robbie Reed had had brought me to Isaiah just on a general meeting. Mm -hmm. He just had read the script, I think, and had liked it and wanted to meet me. I knew of him from like Crooklyn, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> I had another actor in that part. I'm in Chicago. We couldn't get that actor off his TV deal. Friday, it's like Friday. The part works on Monday, and uh, I called Isaiah and I said. Right, you have to do me a favor. Can you, can you get to Chicago? Can you get like it's it's literally Friday, and, and I said this part the part the part shoots on Monday. Can you get here for basically for no money, by the yeah. way? And he said, "I love the script. I'm there." And they got him on a plane like the next day, and then we rehearsed on Sunday. We we re we rehearsed a bit on Sunday. He was completely prepared. Showed up on Monday and started and, and killed it and started killing it. Yeah. 
And that was <laughs> so that was so that kind of stuff is scary because yeah. what if the right actor is unavailable or mm-hmm. you can't make his deal or whatever and then you don't get the perfect cast. Yeah. In this case, got the perfect cast. I mean, when you hear these backstories, it's, it's it to your point, I it is a little scary. Frightening. You, <laughs> frightening. Frightening. Because you realize the willy-nilly yeah, nature it, it of, wasn't how this, me. of how this came to it be. It wasn't me. I had another yeah. guy. <laughs> but but his showrunner wouldn't let him out of his contract. Wow. So am I a genius because Isaiah Washington's in the movie? No. I just knew him and, okay. and thought he was great. Between us, nobody's listening. Yeah. Who was the other guy? Um, do, we, do, was, we, do we know who he is? Yeah. It was um, uh, Gary Dordan. Wow. I used to hang out with Gary. Gary, Gary. Gary was just here not too too long ago. They really? were they were touring the. Um, there's a stage play uh, mm. about uh, New Jack City. Really, there's a New Jack City stage okay. play that toured last year. Okay, and last year Gary and the entire crew were right. in this studio. So I just saw Gary. Here. I I love Gary. Yeah, and uh, he was a he was a thing at the time. He was on some Dick Wolf show. He was on like yeah, Law and yeah. Order. So yeah, one yeah. of these like Law and Order shows. So Isaiah got the role that the, it Gary. Was, it was Gary was going to play Savon. Wow. And it was because Dick Wolf wouldn't let him out of his contract. And that's, <laughs> I literally called Isaiah at home on a Friday. And the thing is, I, I got to run right quick. The, the, the thing is, when you see. It seems perfect. Oh, that's my it point. It's like so perfectly designed. When you see, see right? Love Jones, right, right, like, right, right. I can't imagine right. anybody of else in these, playing of, these characters. Of course. But it almost didn't happen. Almost didn't happen. You couldn't. For, for Nia, you, you for Isaiah. See, for, you don't see Jada in the part. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah. Isaiah, now Bill was always there. Yeah. I had another actress for Josie, right? Um, who is was known at the time and who was very good. Uh, but then I and I was going to make her deal. And then the last tape that came in, the last tape was Lisa Nicole Carson, and I was like, "No, that's her." I remain in moments with the director of Love Jones, Theodore Witcher, when we come forward. Unapologetically progressive, progressive. unapologetically blind. You're tapped into Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley. Smiley. Helping to, Helping make, to you make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. Uh, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel gave it thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roger, uh, Roger was a fan of the was a real proponent in, uh, yeah. of the movie, and Gene Siskel as well. Yeah. Um, Bill Bellamy. Yeah. Bill was. Uh, I wanted Bill from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, because I wanted a comedian in the part. He seemed right. He was super popular. He was like the number one VJ on MTV. Yeah. There were a lot of reasons to hire Bill. Yeah. I um, I love Sonia Sanchez. She's my, my dear friend. This program is heard in Philadelphia right now, WURD. Shout out to the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. Yes, sir. Um, the home of Sonia Sanchez. How'd you get Sonia Sanchez? We called her publisher, I believe. Mm-hmm. And because it was, it was in the thing, so we had to clear it. And uh, she cleared it. And then she sent me a box of all of her uh, books of poetry. That's Sonia Sanchez. And, and signed, signed all, them all. all of them. That's I have a box of her collected works. That is her. That, that was just her. a gift. Yeah. So if yeah. she's listening, shout out to Sonia Sanchez. Yes. When when you look back, I got just uh, about two minutes here left. Um, we could, as I said, I could do another hour just on all mm, these sure. backstories sure. about Love Jones. Now, when you look back um, on this film, um, what do you make of the legacy of what it has become as a classic uh, in this genre? Uh, well, I'm more shocked than anything else yeah. to be, because the, the goal is to, the only test of whether a movie's any good or really any work is any good, you can't go by the box office or how many records you sell or uh, none of that or what the, even what the critics say. Mm-hmm. The only test is time. Mm-hmm. And if people return to it, mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, at some point in the future and it still has some kind of value 
uh, to them, then that's the really the ultimate and the truly the only reliable test of whether any some, whether you did something that was that was that was any good. Theater Witcher, you have uh, so I'm glad. You I'm, have... I'm, shout out to the audience. I appreciate all the fans, people who hit me all these years for all these years. It's uh, it's been very gratifying. So it, I appreciate all. It of has you. stood the test of time. It is a classic. Uh, and uh, again, I've been chasing this conversation for 25 plus years, and I finally well, let's not chase it for another 25. You know? <laughs> I finally tracked him down. I mean, come on, and got him in studio. His name, as you well know, is Theodore Witcher. He is the writer and director of uh, the film Love Jones, and what a film it is, um, Theodore Witcher. Thank you. I mean, let me just say this, and I, I don't. This is not, I don't want to be hyperbolic, and I'm not. Um, this film has, uh, I use my friend Tasha's words. This film has blessed so many of us. Mm. Time and time again. So thank you for the blessing of Love, John. Well, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for saying.